Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, well, man, I'm really glad you guys are here. Uh, even though a lot of us are gone on vacation, we've got some new faces, some people we don't see unless there is vacation. So it's good to see you guys. Uh, before I get into my message this morning, uh, I want to do something um, a little out of the ordinary. Uh, Andrea, why don't you and Bubba come on up? We're going to do some prophetic ministry here this morning before we even get into the message. Uh, this is Andrea Michael, and this is Justin Harden. We call him Bubba. And uh, these are a couple people who are, who are trained in prophetic ministry. And if that sounds odd to you, all that means is they're trained in how to hear the Lord and speak encouraging words to the church. This is one of the ways that, uh, that the church stays strong and, uh, and happy. And so we just uh, we wanted to do that this morning. We wanted to see what the Lord might be saying to some of the people who are here. Justin, you can go first. Check. There it is. All right. Um, sore tooth. Does anyone have a sore tooth? It's like the top left rear. Kevin? Okay. You? All right. Man, the Lord showed me you earlier. I didn't know what it was for, though. That's cool. Uh, is there a Chris here with a sore tooth? How about that one? I got a name, so. All right. Cool. Actually, is it all right if I pray for those guys right now? Yeah, do it. Man, in Jesus' name, I just ask, Lord, that you would you'd touch these guys. Man, what's your name? Vivian. Father, would you touch Vivian's tooth, and would you take the pain right now in Jesus' name? And Jesus, would you do the same for Kevin? Pain, we command you to leave in Jesus' name. Thanks, Lord. Um, you with the glasses on the back row. Uh, the Lord told me that, that he and you have a secret place together that's really really special to him all right and the lord loves hanging out there with you he loves it when when you go behind closed doors and it's just he and you and it's really special to him all right that's what he told me this morning mm. um that's it right now mm. evelyn i um i just heard the lord say that um the best is yet to come in your life yeah <laughs> And I saw your life like a chessboard, and um, like, I don't know the opponent you were playing, but like your pieces, you had all the good pieces left, and he just wanted you to know that, and that like the victory's already in the bag kind of thing, but that the good pieces were with you, and that's all I have right now. That's good. Well, good job, guys. Thanks. You, are, you guys can be seated. We just like to occasionally do that, because it makes people happy. Good. Everybody all right? All right. And has this not been the most beautiful week out of the entire year or not? Man, I could barely stay. I could barely stay here or at the store at all this week. I just wanted to run out and forget all of my responsibilities. I don't know if you guys have ever felt like that or not. I nearly phoned it in several times. <clears throat> That's the only bad thing about being the boss, because if, if you're the boss and you phone it in, <clears throat> then whatever needs to happen definitely isn't going to happen. You know? The boss can only phone so much in. All right, I'll tell you what, uh, this morning as we get into our message, uh, why don't we, um, if you'd like to, if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, why don't you turn to uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to end up in uh, chapter 3. We're going to continue a, uh, a series that, that Pastor Ray started last week. Um, he and I, over the next couple weeks, we're going to, we're going to be farming the scriptures, um, looking for uh, looking for looking for God's invitation to what we what Ray and I've been informally calling a, a much bigger gospel, and um, <clears throat> you'll understand what that means in a little bit as we get into this. But before we uh, before we actually get to the scriptures this morning, I just wanted to uh, let everybody in the room know that that God is really good. Isn't that true? I hope we've encountered that. God is really good. This is how good God is. 
God's so good that he actually leaks goodness. Like if you were if you were to able if you were to able if you were able to be able to to perhaps grab hold of God and, and squeeze him as though he were a sponge, the only thing that would come out would be goodness. Uh, he's so good it works like this that when he went about doing the work of creation at the first couple chapters of Genesis, he set about creating the world from nothing. There, there, was, there was nothing. It was, it was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and, and there was, it, was, it was a vast expanse of, of, you know, who knows what. And when God set about doing the work of creation, he, 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 spoke, he spoke the worlds into existence with his, world, with his words. And by the, time, by the time we get to chapters 2 and 3, he's created everything that we know. He, he's created the earth, the stars, the seas. He's created all the animals. He's even created people, and, and it, this is what God says about his creation. He says, y'all remember this, he says, it's good. And the reason that he said it's good is because that's what God is. He's goodness, God's love. And, and there's, he's so good that he leaks goodness. Every single thing that he does is good. There, there's no darkness in him. There's, there, there's, there's, no, there's, there's none of the, the bad things that we sometimes associate with God. Those actually didn't come from him. Everything that he did was good. And so uh, that's the first thing I want us to realize this morning before we get into what I would like to call a, perhaps a wider angle of the gospel is that we need to really you know, settle once and for all that God is ultimately good. You squeeze him, man, what's going to drop on the floor will be goodness. And um, when I sometimes think about God being really good, and especially when I'm reading those first couple chapters of Genesis and I'm reading about uh, God's goodness in creation, sometimes I like to let my, let my mind wander about the times I've encountered God's goodness in creation. Y'all ever done that? Here's what I like to think about, especially when I'm reading the first couple chapters of Genesis. I like to think about a couple things, but one thing in particular. Uh, we do missions here at the Vineyard. We do missions at, in, in a country called Peru, and there's a city in Peru. Uh, it's called Arequipa. Now, here's the strange thing about Arequipa. Arequipa sits at about 10,000 feet in elevation, it's roughly twice as high as Denver, okay? So this city is in, I mean, it's in the mountains, you all. And, um, but not only that, it doesn't matter where you're at in Arequipa, there are three enormous volcanoes, and they tower over the city. Now, the city's at 10,000 feet, but there are three enormous volcanoes that tower over the city. They're so big that two of them have snow cap all the time, and they're so big, it doesn't matter where you're at in the city, you can always see them. It doesn't matter. We, Ray and I stayed at this, uh, this little hotel, and, it, and the hotel was enclosed by like a courtyard. with they, Everything has walls and, and stuff on it in Peru because that's how you keep the thieves out and whatnot. But we're in this courtyard with really high walls, and, and I'm literally laying in a hammock, okay, before we go and do ministry. And even laying in a hammock close to the ground with high walls around me, the three, the three volcanoes, they, they, they tower above the city. They're absolutely beautiful. And you know, what those, you know what those three volcanoes say? They're saying a couple things all the time. One of the things they're saying is that there's a God in heaven, and he's really good. He's really good. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys have, have encountered those sort of things when you've been out in creation. I know my dad, he went, he went horseback riding in Tennessee. And when we go riding in Tennessee occasionally, and I don't hardly ever go with him because I'm, I'm kind of done with that. But when we go, we, we usually ride in the mountains. And and, and when we ride in the mountains, we try to find the overlooks where, where, where there's an outcropping and you, can, and you can crawl out on the rocks and you can, you, know, you can see for miles out there in the mountains of Tennessee. And, and the mountains of Tennessee, they're always saying something. They're always saying at least two things. They're saying that there's a God in heaven and that he's incredibly good. Everybody's encountered that. I also like to think about the time that, uh, that my middle child, Seth, was born. Anytime I'm thinking about these, these opening passages in, in Genesis about how God made the world and he, made man and woman and they had kids um, I always like to think about uh, I always like to think about how my, my son Seth came because when Seth came Heather and I were expecting a girl and it, we were expecting a girl not because we had you know the feeling you know how some people get the feeling oh I just know it's a boy yeah I always laugh when people say that because they're always wrong but it wasn't because we had the feeling we, we, we thought Seth was a girl because we had an ultrasound that said he was a girl and in fact, we had two ultrasounds that said he was a girl. And, and it, came, it came from the day when Heather was going to have Seth. You know, she was in labor. We're in, we're in the hospital. You know, baby pops out, ping everywhere. The pee draws your eyes to the right places. And wouldn't you know it, it's a boy. You know, it wasn't baby Nova. It was, it was baby, we don't have a name, you know. We didn't even have any boy names. 
you know, sometimes when I'm thinking about these opening chapters of Genesis and thinking about the fact that everything that God does is good, I like to think about that day because that was one of the best days of my life. It, it, It may be the most favorite thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, you spend nine months thinking you're going to have a girl, and then at the very end you have a boy, and it's like, it's like the best surprise ever. I mean, I, I, didn't, I, I could barely stand myself in that room that morning. It was so good. Mom was there. It was, it was a good day, wasn't it? Mom didn't believe me. I had, I had the baby wrapped up in blankets, and she says, I want to see. Take the blanket off, you know? God's really good. He's really good, and everybody in here has experienced his goodness. Everybody in here has experienced his goodness in creation. Everybody in here has experienced his goodness, the kind of goodness that comes from family relationships. Everybody in here, even if you've had an incredibly difficult life, even if you've had an incredibly difficult life that's, uh, that, that, that sometimes causes you to believe, maybe Maybe, maybe God doesn't like me. Even if you've started to think those kinds of thoughts because some hard things have happened in your life, I want to tell you, the truth is God's been really good to you. He's been really good to you. But if we're honest, we'd all have to agree that there have been parts of life that haven't been perfect, right? You know, if, if we've experienced God's goodness in creation, if we've experienced God's goodness in, in relationships, if we've experienced God's goodness in, 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 you know, in, in that way that only comes through family, then... Gosh, everybody in here can tell just as many stories about how things didn't quite work out right. Maybe some relationships went down the toilet. Everybody's been hurt in relationships, right? And, um, and so we've, there's, this, there's this dynamic at work. God is incredibly good. His creation speaks of his goodness. Uh, his goodness is sometimes captured best in families. And at the same time, sometimes the things that should capture his goodness most ends up not exactly holding what we thought it was going to be. Anybody experienced that? Yeah. Everybody here has experienced pain. Everybody here has experienced disappointment. And everybody here has experienced the part of life that's, that's difficult and hard. Um, but here's what I really wanted to get to this morning is this, that, um, that badness or uh, pain or disappointment are still no match for the goodness of God. Um, Here's the deal. Uh, God is not intimidated by things that are ruined. And that's really what I wanted to get to this morning. God, he is not intimidated by things that have been ruined. If you've lived life long enough, you realize that there's pain in life. You realize that there's disappointment. You realize that, that people don't always get along. And you realize that people don't always treat one another well. Uh, you realize that your best laid plans don't always turn out the way you thought they were going to. And, and even in the midst of that, I want you to know this. God is incredibly good, and he's not one bit intimidated by things that are ruined. And the reason that he's not one bit intimidated by things that are ruined is because God has an enormous heart to restore broken things. See, there, there, are, there are two maybe primary manifestations of God's nature and character. One of the first is, is one of the first things that we find in, in the Bible is that God is creator. He, he loves to create. There, there's, there's something about being creative that is the essence of who God is. He couldn't just sit alone in heaven with, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. There was something about his nature that needed to be expressed. He, he, everybody in here who's creative can kind of really grab hold of what I'm talking about. There's something about God that just manifests in creativity. And then the other thing is this. He's not just creative, but he, he's, he's the kind of person who will restore broken things. He's not intimidated by what the, anything that's ruined. He's a, he's a restorer. So he's creative and he's a restorer. Before we go on, I would like to say this. For everybody in here who, who works a job that they hate, probably the reason you work a job that you, that, that you hate is because you're working a job where you're not creative. See, see God spent his, his, his first six days in creation being about the work of crea- creativity. There's something about, there's something about work uh, that's related to creativity that sparks satisfaction in a person's life. So just, you know, take that for what it's worth. It's not today's message, but it's a bonus round. You're welcome. That's bonus round this morning. Let me put it this way. If, it's, if, if, if your job doesn't require you to be creative, it's not God's kind of work. Okay? 
So God, he, he's really good. It manifests himself in creation. His goodness manifests himself. He's not intimidated by things that are ruined and broken. He has an enormous heart for reconciliation. He has an enormous heart to restore broken things. It's, it's part and parcel with who he is. And, and here's what I want you to see before we get into the main part of the message this morning is this. We've talked about it quite a bit. But the first two chapters in Genesis and the last two chapters in Revelation, they are remarkably the same. They tell nearly an identical story. The things that you find in the first two chapters of Genesis are the exact same things you find in the last two chapters of Revelation. What's the point? The point is this, that the way, the things, the way that things began are going to be the way that things end. You can bank on it. Irregardless of pain, irregardless of disappointment, irregardless of the way uh, of the toil and, the, and the, the, the trouble that has encountered your life up to this point, know this, that God is about the work of, restora- of, about the work of restor- restoration and he's about the work of restoring what happened in the first two chapters of Genesis again. And that gets us to where we're at today. That's really what the gospel's about, by the way. And with a view toward uh, God's heart to restore, I'd like to say to the church this morning that we 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 need a bigger view of what the gospel is. We need a bigger view of what the gospel is. Uh, What I mean is this, that most of us growing up in the South, most of us growing up in Kentucky especially, we've grown up with a certain kind of gospel. It goes like this. Come to Jesus, he'll take care of your sin problem. Come to Jesus, you'll get heaven instead of hell. And all of those things are true, but I'd like to suggest that they're overly narrow because they don't take into account God's enormous good heart to restore broken things. Okay? And so uh, maybe you've been like me. Take a second here, turn your brain on, go back through the, the card catalog to, to, the, to the, maybe your past in life and ask yourself a couple questions. Who here has met the Lord, put their, put their trust in the fact that Jesus satif- satisfies God's wrath and makes you righteous? Who here has done that? And then afterwards, maybe, maybe a day afterwards, or, or maybe, maybe it was years later, maybe two or three years after living saved, whoever, who here ever had that question, what's next? Anyone ever thought that question? Anyone here ever, after ever... Uh, living with, 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 the, with the Holy Spirit on the inside. Anybody here who's, who, who's met Jesus and, and been affected by His love? Anybody here who's lived like that for a year or two? Anybody here ever ask, what's now? What's next? What do, what, what am I, what do I do? Anybody here ever ask that? Here's the reason that you're asking that. The reason that you're asking that is a really good question, and it's actually the Holy Spirit drawing you in to the wider view of what the gospel is. Some of you may think, well, gosh, Adam, I've never thought that a day in my life. And if that's you, I just want to tell you, don't feel bad. That's why you're here this morning. Like, literally, if you've never had that thought in your life and you're in the purple chair, well, then great. Today's a divine appointment, and the Lord wanted to bring you into a wider view of what the gospel is. Because here's the deal. The gospel isn't just getting saved. The, the gospel isn't just not going to hell. The gospel isn't just going to heaven one day. The gospel isn't just having your sins forgiven. The gospel is all of that and joining God, partnering with God in the work of restoring everything that's broken in the earth. That's the gospel. And so let's do a little review from last week. Uh, Ray started last week with... Uh, with a famous passage out of, uh, out of the book of Romans. He started with Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. You don't have to turn there. I'll read them to you. But this is what Paul writes. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just, it is, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And uh, just like Ray pointed out last week, this is Paul's thesis statement. Now, the book of Romans is, is Paul's longest theological argument in, in, that he wrote, and it's, it's the most theological letter in all the Bible. And it's, it's basically about you know, how, how salvation, how justification, how righteousness, all those big church, works, church words work. And this is Paul's thesis statement. Everybody here has written a paper at some point. And, and the first thing your teacher tells you is you've got to have a thesis statement and everyone, everything flows out of that. So the whole book of Romans essentially flows out of this. 
And uh, what Ray pointed out to us this week and uh, what I want to repoint out to us and then build upon a little bit is this, that when we, when, we, when we read Paul, when we read things like we're just up there, uh, we, we need to understand at least a little bit about what Paul's mindset uh, was when he wrote that. And we need to understand biblically what, what concepts like righteousness mean because they've, they've, they've come to mean certain things to us that may not that may cloud the truth of what they are in the Scripture and the truth of what Paul meant when he was writing them. Understand what I'm saying? There's something about tradition that, uh, that, that, that sometimes clouds and hides truth from us. And so here's what I want us, want us to pick up here. Paul gives us the thesis statement in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and he's talking about the kind of righteousness <clears throat> that comes by faith. It's not by works, but it's by faith. And, um, and before we move on, I want to say that there's two kinds of righteousness, essentially. Uh, there's one kind of righteousness, and Paul has these two kinds in mind. Anytime we're reading any of the letters of Paul, whether Romans or any of the other ones, he has two kinds of righteousness in mind. The first kind of righteousness is a legal kind of righteousness, and it goes like this. You're in, you're in the court of law. Perhaps someone has sued you. <clears throat> Ray and I are in court. Ray, Ray is suing me. There's a judge, and, uh, and Damon, he's the judge. Damon hears my case, and Damon says... Before the court, he says, Adam, you're free. You're acquitted. You're not guilty. At that point, I'm righteous. It's, it's not that I have a moral character that's superior to Ray's. It's just that I've won my case in the court of law. Everybody understand that? There's, there's, that's, that's one aspect of righteousness. It doesn't impart moral superiority uh, to a person. It imparts, it imparts a clear conscience before the court. I had a case. Ray brought me before the court. The court heard my case and the court has declared me righteous puts me in right relationship with the law puts me in right relationship with the court everybody understand that that's that's one aspect of righteousness that paul has in mind but far and above the bigger the bigger picture that paul always has when he's talking about righteousness when he's talking about justification when he's talking about even salvation he has he has one thing in mind almost always and here's what he has in mind he has god's faithfulness to abraham in mind you say what he has that. Yes, he has God's faithfulness to Abraham in mind. There's two, kinds, there's two kinds of righteousness. They're both true and they're both good. And far and away, anytime we're reading about righteousness, justification, salvation, we, we need to keep in mind that, that one of the things that, that Paul has, uh, has in his mind and, and is trying to impart to the church is that God is being faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham. That, that's God's kind of righteousness. Y'all remember the promises that God made to Abraham? We looked at them a little bit last week. I'll read them to you real quick. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. God said to Abraham, he said, this is in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless, the, I'll bless, those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's what Paul has in mind when he's talking about righteousness. It's, it's not just being acquitted in the court, but he has, he has in mind a righteousness that is God being faithful to a promise that he made to a man literally 4,000 years ago. What does salvation look like? It looks like God's faithfulness to promise. that little bit of review in, in line, I want to pick up in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 14 verses here, okay? So if you've got your Bible, let's read along together. Now, admittedly, we're jumping here in the middle, okay? And um, I'll try to set some of this up a little bit later, but let's just read here to begin with. This is what Paul writes. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit that you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Look at this now. Consider Abraham... He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, 
that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's ask the Lord to be with us while we unpack a few scriptures, if that'd be all right. Father, we love you this morning, but we don't just love you, we need you this morning. And we need you to open up our hearts to what it is that you're saying. We need you to open up our minds so that we can be on the same page with you, Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you would, that you would impart to everyone here uh, just a revelation of your word, even now. Thanks, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> yeah, like I said, we sort of jumped in the middle here, and so we need to uh, clarify just a little bit, and we need to do a little background, um, because we did come right in the middle of Paul's argument. But uh, here's what you need to know. This is, uh, this is just a little 101 on the book of Galatians. So Paul wrote this book of Galatians to the people living in a region called Galatia. Galatia wasn't a city, it was a region. And so there were lots of little cities, kind of, it was kind of like the countryside. You know, a lot of little cities out and, out and around. And so it's, it's more of a regional letter. And he wrote it uh, for one main purpose, because there were people who were coming in, uh, principally uh, from Jerusalem, and they were, they were bringing this message into, uh, into the churches that Paul had had preached to and had, had established. And they were bringing in this message. They were bringing in this, this concept that it wasn't, just, it wasn't just by faith in Jesus that a person belonged to the family of God, but it was also in keeping some of the law, and, and especially the law that they, that they really wanted to impart to these, to these churches in Galatia was, this, uh, was the part of the law where it said, you know, take your son and circumcise him. And so it was the sign given even to Abraham in, 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 in Genesis chapter 17. And so there were people who were, who were coming in right behind Paul. Paul calls them agitators in, in the fifth chapter of Galatians. People who were coming in right in behind him, and they were sowing in on top of his gospel a little bit more. Paul had come in, and he had preached Jesus. He had preached that, that the way that you become a part of the family of God was, was by faith, and, and it was faith in the, in the fact that Jesus had satisfied the wrath of God. When Jesus had died on the cross, he had satisfied the wrath of God, and that by faith in Jesus, you become a part of the family of God. That was Paul's essential message. But other people, agitators, had come in and said, no, it's not just that, but you also need to keep certain parts of the law, especially the part about being circumcised. And so Paul writes this letter, and if you read the, this letter this week, and I hope you will, you're going to find out Paul is not happy in this letter. He's not happy at all. He, he is really aggravated, and it, this, is, this is a letter full of heat because essentially what's happening is these people who have come in behind him have sown, sown more into his gospel, as it were. These are people who, who, whose message is literally threatening the life of the gospel and is threatening the life of his own work, everything that he's laid his life down. So it's his apostleship, his ministry is at stake. And so he, he writes what we read this morning because, uh, because people are adding to his message. <clears throat> and uh, at, by the time we get to chapter 3 one of the things that we should also realize is that Paul's well into his argument and he's already, he's already begun to talk about the fact that uh, at one time while he was in Galatia specifically in a city called Antioch he had a showdown with the apostle Peter everybody remembers Peter, right? it, it had gotten so bad that even Peter had sinned and, and betrayed the truth of the gospel this is how it worked they were having a meal together in Antioch. No, you got to get a picture of this, okay? Apostle Peter, the rock, the guy who first got the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. They're having a meal together, and, and evidently Peter had, you know, been there for a little while, and then some guys from James and Jerusalem come up, and when the guys from Jerusalem come and hang out with Paul and Peter and, and the churches 
in, in Galatia and specifically the church in Antioch, Peter decides, well, I'm not going to hang with the Gentiles anymore. I'm only going to hang out with the circumcision group. And, and listen, this is, y'all remember like how we have our, our family dinners in here on, on, uh, on Christmas? Imagine, big dinner, and imagine that half of us are Jews and half of us are Gentiles, and imagine that like the pillar, literally the pillar of the church, has been hanging out with the Gentiles, and then some other Jews come in who, who also have faith in Jesus, and imagine that guy doesn't hang out with you anymore. That's literally what happened, and he doesn't hang out with you because you haven't fully obeyed this new gospel with circumcision, and so Paul stands up and says, this is not okay, and literally calls him out right in front of everybody. Different culture, we don't do that. We just do backbiting and stuff around here. You know, if you got a problem, we don't handle it face to face. Heck no, we just, we just go sow a little bit here and there, and then we, we form a coalition. But that's not the way things work there. Paul stands up and he says, this is not okay. He says, this is not okay. This is, this is, this is killing the gospel. Peter, and of anybody who knows, you ought to know better. I mean, for goodness sakes, you had the vision you know, on top of the house, you went to Cornelius' house. You know better than anyone. The Gentiles wouldn't even be a believer if it wasn't for you. Paul didn't say all that, but he could have. Just showing you how big of a deal this was. So the very gospel's at stake. And here's the fascinating part for me. The fascinating part for me is, is the issues over which, over which we get so, um, over, over which we get so upset. Like, um, Issues change over the course of a couple thousand years is what I'm saying. Um, it's like this. 2,000 years ago, Paul has to give a vigorous defense of what the faith was all about. Peter had abandoned the faith in front of everybody in the church, and so Paul has to give a vigorous defense of what the faith is all about. Today, we're pretty darn sure about what the faith. We're, we're pretty sure about, about how to enter into God's family through faith. Everybody here, you know, we've got that message down. The thing that we don't have down is what what is what is faith in Jesus actually opened the door to? They still had that. The issues have kind of flip-flopped a little bit here, if if, if you're with me a, a little bit here. And so that gives us to uh, to chapter three. And so let's read just a little bit. So there's there's been guys who have come in and sown on top of Paul's message. It's been a it's been a divisive uh, it's been a divisive element. It's it's literally dividing the church along cultural lines it's it's so divisive that it even that it even has uh caused peter to sin and so paul's writing to them and he says you know you foolish relations who's bewitched you before your very eyes jesus christ was clearly portrayed as crucified and he says i would like to learn just one thing from you did you receive the spirit by observing the law now you ought to take your pen or pencil and you ought to underline that word spirit did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you have or by believing what you heard. Here's why you ought to underline that. <clears throat> you should underline that because it seems like a throwaway verse in Paul's argument, but it's really not. This, this idea, what Paul is arguing here is that it's not, about, it's not about the things that we do in our own strength that make us a part of the family of God. It's about the person that we trust in. We're all clear on that, right? It's not about the things that we do in our own strength that make us a part of the family of God. It's about the person that we trust in. But here's the thing I want you to see. Paul says in verse 2, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And so one of the first things, and it's central to Paul's theology, and it's central to our DNA. Right back over there, we've got a banner that says the presence of God. It's central to who we are. It's this, that when we, when we put faith in Jesus... It's not just that your sins get forgiven. They do. It's not just, it's not just that, you get, that, you get, uh, that you get taken out of darkness and placed into light because you do. It's this, that you receive the Spirit. I want, us to see, I want us to see through some of these angles of what Paul is actually saying. It's not just that, it's not just that faith in Jesus is a one-time event that sets things right. It's that we get way more than that. Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by what you've done or by believing what you heard. So listen, when you, when, you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you don't just get peace with God, as it were. You get way more than that. You get the Spirit. And let's keep on. Verse 3. He says, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So here are three things in these first five verses 
of chapter 3 that we receive three things that you receive by putting faith in Jesus. Three things that you receive by putting your trust in that Jesus' life and death and resurrection satisfy the wrath of God. Number one, we receive the Spirit. Number two, this is a big one as well, we receive righteousness apart from human effort. It's in verse 3. It says, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? No, you receive righteousness apart from human effort. And number, th and number three, you receive, you, receive spirit, you receive the Spirit and miracles. I love verse 5 because it's, Paul is arguing for, for faith apart from what you do uh, in terms of human effort. And in doing so, he kind of gives us a glimpse of what the normal church was like back then. Look at verse 5 and, and think about this is the normal church. Paul says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? You see, an impartation of the spirit and, and a release of miracles is a part of the normal church. It's, it, it's such a part of the normal church that it's a part of Paul's argument. That's a huge statement, and, and, and it's a huge challenge for us at the Vineyard. Are we going to be people who are just satisfied with a theology of Jesus? Are we going to be people who are just satisfied with a theology of Jesus' life, death, cleansing, and resurrection? Or are we going to be a people who are satisfied with the evidence of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and cleansing? I mean, this is really big stuff here. Uh, we can get really satisfied with just the theology of being saved and not going to hell and have a really good time, love one another, hang out in the purple chairs, eat dinner on Christmas, or are we going to be content to be the kind of people who lay hold of everything it was that Jesus came to bring? And, it, and, and there's a supernatural element that Jesus came to bring. The gospel isn't just an intellectual assumption. It's not just an intellectual hurdle to jump. The gospel is a very present reality for everyone who is sick, for everyone who is needy, for everyone who is brokenhearted, for everyone who is heavy. The gospel is a very present reality. I love what Paul says. He says, are you going to forfeit it? Are you going to forfeit it? He says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard. And so here's what I want to say. For everyone in here who has believed what they heard, for everyone in here who has believed what they heard, the life of miracles, the life of supernatural fellowship with God, and the life, and the life of the Spirit is a normal part of your life. If it's not, something is dramatically wrong. Dramatically wrong. For some of you guys who are new here, we, we pray for the sick every single Sunday morning. The reason that we pray for the sick every single Sunday morning is because <clears throat> every single month we see people get healed. Because it's a normal part of church. So a bigger gospel, the gospel is not just dealing with our sin problem the gospel is not sin management it's the impartation of the spirit it's righteousness it's being in right standing with god apart from human effort and it's and it's it's the supernatural life of miracles inside the church let's get on to verse six and right here in the middle of paul's argument he says consider abraham he believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness understand then that those who believe are children of abraham the scripture foresaw that God would justify Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And here's what I want to tell you. Abraham is, is, is back in, in focus here because, let me put it this way. Let me tell you why he's not back in focus here. Paul is not giving us an example of someone who has faith. Abraham is not just an example of someone who has faith. I want to say that. Sometimes we can, we can kind of miss the point. Abraham, Abraham is not just a biblical example that we can point to of someone who has faith. Paul is talking about that it's through faith that somebody comes into the family of God. Paul's talking about that it's, that it's through God's sovereign selection and then that person's, that, person's, that person's cooperation with God that brings them into the family and it's based upon faith. And Abraham is not just an example, but if we read this closely, what we're going to find out is that Abraham is a key figure a key cog in the literal gospel coming to the planet he's not an example of the gospel abraham is a part of the gospel can we hear this 
We'll get to why it's important a little bit later. Let's read this again. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture, look at this, verse 8. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And look at this, underline this, this phrase. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And this is, the, this is the pre-announcement of the gospel to Abraham. This is the gospel in one line. All nations will be blessed through you. When God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, I'm going to curse those who curse you, and I'm going to be with you, and all the people on the earth are going to be blessed through you, God just gave Abraham the gospel. Let's do this, though. I want everybody in here to remember Abraham. Remember everything you can about who Abraham is. Because here's why this is so important. Because when God selected Abraham, Abraham was a nomadic wanderer. He was living with his family, and just like Pastor Ray talked to us last week, there was this huge mass migration of people working across the map. And everybody who took World Civ in in high school or middle school remembers that that phrase, the, the, the... Fertile Crescent, I can't talk this morning. The Fertile Crescent, but they were making, they were, the, these people were, were wandering across the Fertile Crescent. And so, so there's this mass migration of people who are, who, who are moving from one, one side of, of the known world to another, literally, that's what's happening. And from all of those people, God selects one man in his family and he says, Abraham, I choose you. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And everyone on the planet is going to be blessed through you. And when God did that, He did something dramatic. Remember God's heart to restore things? Yeah, God had just implemented his heart to restore things at that moment. And at that moment, the gospel had had became a living and a breathing reality in the earth, in the person of Abraham. This is how this works. God had created everything that we know in the first couple chapters of Genesis. He created male and female. He said they're good. They sinned against him. And before we get any further... Cain is killing Abel. I mean, there's like two brothers on the planet and they're killing each other. Murder gets released. Not only does murder get released, but when people sin, toil gets introduced into work. God tells Abraham after they sin, he says, you're not just going to work in the garden anymore, but you're going to toil. You get kicked out of the garden and when you work, it's going to be hard. There's not going to be, the return isn't going to be as good as it was here in the garden. It's going to cost you something. You're going to sweat more. And, there's, and so there's, there's this concept of toil that got introduced with sin. It wasn't just, that, just that, that, that things went wrong, but toil got introduced. Pain got introduced. He looks at Eve and he says, childbearing is going to be tough for you. Pain gets introduced into the world through sin. Toil gets introduced to, into the world. Murder and death. God clothes Adam and Eve and he clothes them with animal skins, which means that some animal had to die somewhere. Death gets introduced into the world because of sin. It gets even worse. It gets so bad that God says, I can't deal with these people anymore. We've got to get rid of them. Let's have a flood. Noah, I'm saving you. All right? So we've got to keep all of this in mind. God's created a perfect world. People have have left God's perfect world. They've introduced sin. Sin has brought death, toil, and pain into the world. Murder has, has, has become commonplace. Two brothers on the planet. One kills another. It gets so bad that God says, I can't deal with these people anymore. We're going to get rid of them. And we'll just start afresh with Noah and his family. Noah, build a big boat because I'm going to send some water. That's not the end of it. Right, do you guys remember what happens one chapter right before Abraham shows on the scene? It's the Tower of Babel. People have collected and congregated again. And God says, these people are going to be able to do anything they want if they keep up like this. I've got to confuse them with many languages. And so there's this disbursement that happens. And so literally, because of man's sinful heart, God says, because he's so because he's so set on doing his own thing apart from me, I have to frustrate him and separate the family that I really want for my own. Listen, before we get to Abraham in in chapter 12 of Genesis, the world has become a really sad place and most heartbreaking for God because what God really wanted was a family of his own. And while the time we get to Abraham, what we see is we see the reintroduction of God making fellowship with people again and collecting his family. God's heart is to restore things. And that's the gospel, to restore everything that's broken. And in verse 6, he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's from Genesis 15 when Abraham had a covenant 
with God. But Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was as though Abraham's count was zero. God comes to him, makes promises. Abraham believes God. And for, through just believing God, Abraham's account gets filled. It went from zero to filled. Just like that. And then here's the good news. In verse 7, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Everyone who believes are children of Abraham. And here's what that means. It means that if you have, if you have put your trust into Jesus, it means that if you, have, if you have put your trust in the fact that Jesus' sacrifice satisfies God's wrath, you get set righteous. But you don't just get set righteous. You become a son and a daughter of Abraham. And so you become an heir to the promises of Abraham. Let's read the promises of Abraham again. This is what God said to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. When you put your faith into Jesus, you became an heir to that promise. Here's where the gospel gets bigger for us. It's not just that you get blessed. It's not just that God is for you. It's not just that, that things got set right in your own life, but God becomes so for you, God, God credits your account to such an extent that we become people who literally bear the responsibility to be a blessing to the world. You guys see that? God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. People who bless you, I'm going to bless. People who curse you, I'm going to curse. And everyone on the planet is going to be blessed through you. When you said yes to Jesus, at the moment that you put faith into Jesus, at the moment that you said Jesus' life and death satisfied God's wrath for me, at that moment, your account got filled up. And it didn't get, a, it didn't get filled up just so that, you could, so that we could live life, check out, and not worry anymore. It got filled up so that we could be blessing to the world. That's what the gospel really is. In verse 9, he says, So all those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. <clears throat> Anybody in here not feel blessed? If you don't feel blessed this morning, the good news is you're blessed. Quite apart from your feelings, quite apart from any emotion, you're a blessed people. Let's skip down to verse 14. This is what he says. It's another summation of the gospel. It's really good. Paul writes to us, he says, He redeemed us, and the he here would be Jesus. Jesus redeemed us. God redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that'd be me and you, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's a, that's a bigger view of the gospel as well. We're redeemed people. We're redeemed people so that we can receive the promise of the Spirit. This is what faith does. When you, when you put faith in Jesus, it, feel, it, 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 it transfers your status, and you go from being unrighteous to righteous. It, it takes your account that was on zero, and it fills it up. And at the moment that you go from being unrighteous into righteous, a target gets put on you and you become the kind of person that, that's, the, that's an acceptable place for the Spirit to rest. See, see the Lord, God can't put the Spirit on unrighteousness. He, he can't put the Spirit on people who, who are content to live apart from, who are content to live apart from His own plan. He can't put the Spirit on people who are content to, to live life apart from partnering with God. That's why, that's why Jesus is such a big deal. Jesus makes the life of the Spirit possible for us. And so you put faith into Jesus, you, you, your status becomes righteous out of unrighteousness, and you become, the kind of, you become the kind of place that can receive the Spirit. And just like we've already talked about, no one in the Scripture receives the Spirit. No one encounters the Spirit in the, in the Scripture 
and, and, and becomes anything other than a reformer for the culture that they live in. Every single person who has a radical encounter with God, every single person who has a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit becomes a reformation for the, for the culture and for the people that they live in. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a much wider view. Yeah, Jesus is more than our sin solution. He opens the door to the promises of the Father, and he opens the door to the promise of the Spirit. And so we're called to be reformers. And so I just want to review one thing here, and then we'll, we'll be done. But, and it's this, that the life of faith, the life of faith, it brings us into contact with, with several key things here. The life of faith brings us into contact with the Spirit, the life of faith brings us into contact with the supernatural. It brings us into contact with, with miracles. And the life of faith brings us into contact with the promises of Abraham, which are promises for this world. And that's the gospel. The life of faith is, is not so that I can be content to hang out. Um, I, I do want to look at one more scripture. Paul says this in, in, in verse, verse 11. He says, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Underline that little phrase there, the righteous will live by faith. See, it, it's an ongoing living kind of faith. It's not, like, it's not like the righteous will have faith at one point and then go on and live their life. It's, that, it's that, that kind of faith that makes a person righteous. They'll continue in it their entire life. Which is to say they become people who partner with God to make all things good. To reform and restore everything that's broken. Everybody here... Is, um, is in contact with, with things that are broken. We don't, have to, we don't have to spend any time figuring out where the broken things are. If you, if you work a job, if you have a family, <clears throat> if you live in a neighborhood, broken things are all around us. And so I would like to suggest, church, that, that a wider view of the gospel is this, that you've been blessed by God. You've been radically blessed by God. You've been blessed by God in that you got taken out of darkness and put into light. You've been blessed by God because, because you were alone and now you have fellowship with Him. You've been blessed by God because at one time your path was going to lead to eternal destruction and now your path is going to, to lead to eternal delight with Him in His presence. You, you, but, but it's not just that. It's that you're, the blessing that God put on you, it, it's the blessing that He gave Abraham and, it, and it's in this life for the people who are around you. And it's to literally go and make things better. When God shows up and shows you mercy, it's, it's, it's also God showing up to show everyone around you mercy. It's his intention to show everyone around you mercy. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up this morning?